Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm recording on my side. Let's do it. Jeremy, um, do you know Sean? Yeah, funny story. Sean was one of my role models back in college. Um, what? He... Look at me now. <laughs> Wait, Why? Uh, so, so I went to college, uh, in the small school called Babson in, in Boston. And, um, and, you know, it, most of the people there eventually end up in like finance, but the, the main shtick of the college is like, it's not supposed to be number one for entrepreneurship. A lot of kids were like really into that. Um, and, uh, and, uh, around Boston, we like organized a trip to San Francisco, visited a bunch of tech companies. Um, this is back in like 20, I think 20 winter 2013 or 2014 and um and monkey inferno and uh and uh Bebo, like you know sean was this like really impressive guy who we we visited and the office was spectacular so um it's mostly just the office <laughs> also sean but like i i think i think we've mentioned that office a little bit but this is how i actually met sean as well and i let's i don't care if sean shouldn't describe this because it was kind of his but he had this office, Jeremy, that was, it was called Monkey Inferno. It it could have housed or, uh, you know, not, probably 50 people could have worked there if they wanted oh, to. I think more. Maybe more. It was really impressive. If I, like, they had an espresso machine. They had, uh, <laughs> I think, a, a cook that would come every day, like a professional kitchen. It had tables that looked, it had a table that was maybe 15 feet wide. And it looked <laughs> as if you cut down a Yosemite tree and turned it into a table. Like, it looked like a $200,000 table. The worst part was, I, I thought that was every startup. So, so I was like, oh man, th these guys are living the dream, like working in this dope office. And, you know, and then reality hits when you actually move here. And it's like, oh, that is, uh, that is like <laughs> one of a million. So, uh, it, Sean, do you think that that place costs more than $2 million to decorate? Uh, no, no, that's a little bit much. But th the, we got lucky because, uh, you know, my main investor and the guy who actually started the lab, he owned the building. So first, so he was the landlord. It's not like we were paying some crazy rent, uh, you know, to some landlord. So he had bought this building at, in 2008, 2009, right after the real estate crash. So he scooped it up for super cheap. Some I don't know, like... A couple million bucks, I think he got this this building that was, at the time, seven different like uh, lofts, like apartment lofts, and he just smashed down the walls and combined them into a giant live workspace. And he left one loft, so there's actually an apartment at the top. So it's three stories of office, uh, like office floors, but we only use the top floor for desks. The second floor we turned into like ping pong, like the classic, you know, stereotypical, stupid startup blowing money thing. It's like ping pong table, snack room. We turned it, we created a weight room in there, like to exercise in. Um, the third floor was wherever his desk is. And the fourth floor was just uh, this loft, this apartment where you could just crash in if you stayed late. And so my first year there, I slept in that apartment 200 days out of the 365 of the year. <laughs> it was basically my house. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, 
yeah, I mean, like the, this office is made. It also had like all. It had like a Mac One computer, like the first Mac. Right. I remember I picked up a coaster once. Uh, so, so the story is so. So Michael and Zochi Birch owned the building. They started the lab. Uh, they had had a ton of success, so they wanted to work in like their dream environment. So they built their dream environment, which most entrepreneurs can't afford to do. They owned the building. They did the renovation. They had this one designer, this guy, Ken Folk, who is like this like kind of designer to the stars type of guy. And he's like wild. Like um, like you have art behind you, Sam. This guy would come in every two months and just rotate the art. So we would come into the office one day and like all the art had changed. But you wouldn't notice because they're the same position, but it's just a different picture in there. And he was just like an elf that would like turn over the office with new shit all the time. And I was like, are we paying for this? What's going on? And I remember picking up a coaster and it said $700 on a sticker under the coaster no is still way. on there. For, and like, I, do you think it was 700 for one coaster? No, for the <laughs> I think it was probably the, the rack, the, the, the stack of six or whatever. But I was like, $700. And, uh, you know, that was, that was crazy to me. Like, it had mirrors that were one-way mirrors. So you would go to the restroom. And when you would look out the the, the window, the, basically the mirror, the, the wall of the restroom, it looked like everybody could see you peeing. Uh, but it was actually a one-way mirror. And when they looked at you, they they, they just saw a mirror. They couldn't see you peeing. Um, and so we got, I want to, we have to ask Jeremy who he is and what he does. But before we get there, I do want to say one thing to you, Sean. Yesterday, I foster, I began fostering a dog and... I just want to make the announcement that if Time Magazine decides to honor me with Person of the Year because I'm doing this... You accept. I, I, I'll accept. So if anyone needs a dog, follow me on Twitter. I got to find this dog a home. Is it stray? Like you just took it in? No, I like signed up. I'm just being a saint that yeah. you know whatever i'm just i'm an angel so yeah. i just want what, everyone to know that. What, what are you covering up for what'd you what'd you do that made you want to go out and do a good deed just i'm just a, i'm just a saint so if, follow me on twitter and and someone would <laughs> come adopt this dog jeremy uh who are you uh yeah i um i uh am the founder and ceo of a company called italic and um and uh and also um a co-founder with my girlfriend of a company called not pot um both of which are companies in e-com. So happy to dive into either and, and share more. And that's not pot.com, not pot like weed. <laughs> it is It is literally not pot. It is a, it's a, it's a American, I, I, I usually say it's an American wellness brand, but yes, it's a CBD brand. Um, it's been around for... No, but I just mean, how do you spell it? P-O-T, right? N-O-T-P-O-T, so not pot. Um, Great name, by the way. Was that the first name that came to you, or uh... I mean, I can't take credit for any of the creative. That's all. That's all, Katie. She's the the genius there. But um, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's my day to day. And then Italic, we've talked about before. Uh, amazing company. I believe. I don't know if we've signed the papers yet. I believe I'm an investor officially in the company at some point. Uh, I think it's an amazing concept. You guys basically, and tell me if I get this wrong. I, I might butcher it. You guys basically have. Um, high-end kind of premium goods. So it could be bags, jackets, scarves, a whole bunch of different SKUs um, that are the same manufacturers that do, you know, production for Gucci and Prada and like all the big brands. And basically you offer those same quality products without the brand name label and therefore almost like at factory pricing. So you become an Italic member. As a member, you get access to this like sort of factory pricing of premium goods. If you want quality, but you don't want to, you don't want to overpay 10X for the label, essentially. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. So um, so yeah, and and, and, uh, to anyone who 
Uh, we've okay. For what it's worth, we've never done this before, so this is the first time we're ever doing it. Like, for anyone who wants to try it out, I did make a code. Uh, it's MFM Pod, I think, and you get a free uh, year, which is normally 120 bucks for a membership. I don't. I actually don't even know like how big this podcast is, so I, I hope I didn't just shoot myself in the foot there. Break but, your business. MF Pod. MF Pod. MFM Pod. Yeah. So so it's italic.com slash MFM pod. Jeremy, I'm a customer of yours. I'm a paying member. I wish I would have been able to use this. I, I own your knives and a coat. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks for supporting us. I, uh, you know, will promise to, to keep supporting you there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the idea is basically, you know, um, I think when most people start brands or, or companies in e-com, like you normally start, it could, you could be, if you're a venture type of founder, you're like, okay, you're two MBAs and you're like, okay, I'm going to sell XYZ online because it's a big market. Or you're like a lifestyle brand, you, you want to kind of bootstrap this up. But I think for, for Italic, really, the, the goal is to um, kind of build the suite of tools and technology to empower manufacturers to become merchants of their own. Um, and Italic obviously, you know, does well by kind of building the, the pipes and the rails to kind of provide access to a global market. But um, to a customer, it's like a killer value prop, right? You're getting high quality products from the same factories as the these really premium, you know, his, legacy heritage brands. Um, and it's well designed, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, that they're quality goods, but we're offering them at prices that are like 60, 70, 80%, you know, lower than what brands do. Um, and, uh, and then we, we monetize through, you know, to your point, the, the membership. So it's like the Costco model. Exactly. Right. And how big's the business? It's pretty, I mean, we started about two years ago and we just launched the membership. So we're, we just crossed like the 10,000 member mark. Um, and, uh, and things are, are pretty good. Like most members, um, you know, I think in e-com also nowadays, you typically see like one of two things if you want to hopefully make it. And, and it's like, you either have to be profitable on first purchase or, you know, hopefully you have enough replenishment or frequency of use to come back. And um, really the goal with Italic, and also I think most of the times like you had, there was this narrative of like, hey, we're going to start in this one category, like raise a whole bunch of money to capture it. And then hopefully like raise more money to enter into new verticals. And that like, almost never works. Um, so it was important for us to also start like uh, pretty horizontal from day one. So we didn't get pigeonholed into like one category of use. Um, so yeah, people are, 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 are spending quite a bit. It's um, typically uh, right now we're about one order a month per member and uh, members are getting to like six, $700 of spend in uh, the first uh, six months. So it's been, it's That's been good. Yeah, it's been a good start. Dude, I, I know I know successful ecom brands that are no have half those economics. So I think that's a, a very solid uh, place to be. Yeah, I mean the, the other thing I, I will say though, you know, for what it's worth, and and uh, I, I don't know if this is a good thing to share or not, but I I, I do think most venture backed ecom businesses play themselves up to be bigger businesses than the actual business like is. Yeah. Um, there's many more bootstrap. There's like you know for every italic out there, there's like a thousand plus. Um, you know, bootstrapped uh, e-com brands that are doing like multiples of what we're doing. So I want to ask you about that. That's what I want to ask you, which is like uh, to name names. But I just had a quick question, which is how old are you? I'm 25. Wow. Yeah. Prepare to feel bad, Sam. <laughs> I feel old now. I don't know. I, I've been... No, you you look young and you... I mean, you speak maturely, but you, you definitely look young. It's very impressive. So, so Jeremy, we brought you in and we, uh, I believe... Uh, I believe Abreu gave you the context of the pod. I don't know if you're listening to the pod, but um, the context of the pod is we basically shoot the shit and brainstorm 
uh, you know, business ideas, as well as just cool stuff we're seeing or businesses that most people haven't heard about that we can kind of break down and uh, walk through like why that business is really interesting. And so uh, I don't know, Data Bray, you give you that context or are yeah, you surprised I, I to hear me prepared. say that? I have a whole list of ideas to to go through with you. I, I had to clear them with with Katie who wants to do like Katie's who's my girlfriend uh, right. before. So I, a couple of these I'm like, all right, you can't say that because I want to do that. But, uh, but right. yeah, I have a big list. You know, I, are you actually afraid of that? Because I feel like you know, we Sean and I have had a handful of people executing our ideas. We had one guy create a, a newsletter that we had really kind of went deep on, and he sold it for maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, we within a few months. Yeah, we we've done it a few times, but in general, I would say the ratio of ideas to execution is quite low. No, I, I mean, I totally, I, I agree with you there for sure. I, in fact, I think, um, I think Trung had mentioned uh, Italic like as a as a feature, which I'm super appreciative of, and a trends, um, I think newsletter a while ago, but or it was, I think it was a hustle newsletter, but um, uh, and and in then in there at the bottom, I think he asked like, okay, put two ideas, and like I got, I got, I I, I counted, I I had at least forty people reach out about one of them. Uh, and I didn't expect that like never happens. So I, right. I do think people do execute. I, I think the percentage to your point is like very low. Um, but also I think, um, you know, in college, like, I, or at least like the older you get and, 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 and tech, at least I feel like the more you do value good ideas. Um, I think in the beginning it's like ideas are a dime a dozen and all that matters is execution, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I don't know. I, I do think like, Hey, you could be st- setting down a path for five, 10 years of your life. And, you know, if it's not a good idea, you kind of just wasted it. You didn't waste it. You learned a lot. But like, you know, it, it could have been better if you um, did spend a little bit more time on, on the idea side. So I, I do think ideas are, are valuable. So let's pop, let's pop in one idea. So let's take one idea off your list and let's see what we're working with. Give me like a B plus idea. Don't give me an A idea yet. I'm not ready for the A. Warm me up with a B to B plus. All right. Um, okay. So I'm going to pull up my list right now. Okay. Uh, I, I've got – so. Oh, by the way, before I got in, like, I, I think um, the, the the one thing I was curious about to, to hear is like, to, is most of your audience kind of interested in like building venture backed businesses? Life, like, we talk about it. We, you know, we we talk we talk about everything. We have a lot of people like the venture backed guys. They'll hear a story of a YouTuber making three million bucks a year, and they're like, "That is awesome." They're like, "Whoa, I got to start a YouTube channel." <laughs> And then the bootstrap guys who have a business that makes 800 grand and they pay themselves $100,000, they love it because Sean and I will talk about someone who did the X, Y, and Z and now it's in like $100 million a year. No, no, you know why they love it? Because we'll be like, yeah, this business, they just got valued at $150 million. They're doing $7 million in revenue. And then there's some guy with like an elevator you know, repair business who's like, we do $14 million. We Does that mean we're valued at $300 million? And it's like, they're like part angry, part curious about like what the fuck's going on with these venture back companies. So there's definitely interest on both sides. You see the transition once in a while, though, I, I think, uh, you know, between the two, you know, with like, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll get. So one of the... Um, one of the ideas I jotted down, like at the start of COVID, um, when people started staying home a lot, was um, this idea for a subscription box. And um, and I think you know subscription boxes, I think nowadays have like a bad rep, you know, you, after companies like Blue Apron and whatnot. Um, but uh, but I think for this one, it could be a, a niche. Um, there's a huge rise in interest in um, kind of home cooking. So was, the idea was a subscription bread of the month club. So make your own bread. We send you the ingredients. You can call it doughy, dough girl, dough daddy, yeast club, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, 
Do I love Daddy. that you came with the names. I like DoDaddy. And... DoDaddy. That is a winner. Yeah. <laughs> right. So... Hold on. Let me go. To, let me go to GoDaddy real quick and see if I can snatch that. DoDaddy. I, I, I like that. I don't care that. what my product is. The next domain is gonna be DoDaddy. Do Do you know anyone who runs a a box? Yeah. There are some that like have really flown under the radar and have like exploded. Like what? Uh, I mean, I, I think the, the best example I would just share is like, you know, FabFitFun is like this company that I think venture investors have overlooked for a long time now. Um, and, uh, and I think it's just like, you know, it's very consistent compounding growth. They, they've, um, this year specifically, they really exploded, I think, with COVID. So, Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Can, can I give you the background or what I know about FabFitFun? And you, could, you can kind of fill in the blank. So FabFitFun, I researched them a bit because... Uh, so my business is The Hustle. We're uh, an email business, or it starts. It started that way. Uh, I think FabFitFun also started that way. So I think it was they gave uh, fitness and beauty-related tips to young women via an email, right? So they built that up to like tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. And they go, all right, well, let's make money in a different way than advertising. And they launched this box. And I think they've been around for around 10 years, right? And they're based out of LA. I think they raised a little bit of money to start, but not yeah. not a significant amount. And they have since grown it to something like, is it, they have 200,000 subscribers or more? I don't remember the exact um, number of subscribers, but like top line wise, they're in hundreds of millions. Um, yes. And they send a quarterly box, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. And and the, the interesting thing that they've done, and, and I think, you know, we, we've thought about a lot as well as they've created lock-in, you know, post-purchase. So right now, I think that the nuance with subscription um, businesses is oftentimes uh, there's a number of types of subscriptions, but like oftentimes the product is the subscription. So like for Spotify, for example, when you pay the subscription, like you are getting Spotify, you're getting access to Spotify and that's the product. You don't have to pay additional. Same with FabFitFun, although they do upsell you. Um, I think what we've seen with FabFitFun and even Stitch Fix as well is like they want to move towards one-time purchases that go outside of subscription frequency, which is always like, you know, the grass is always greener. And then the flip side is like for, you know, companies that are more transactional or like one-time purchase, it's how do we layer on more frequency of use, whether that's a subscription box or not. So how, how has FabFitFun done that? Do you think like, what can, what can I learn from them? Well, what they've done, you know, I think the, the common trope is like, you know, if you're a media business, you should be doing e-com. And if you're an e-com business, you should be doing media. And like, Frankly, that like nine times out of ten, that like never works. It's right. It's, it's it, and I would actually go as far as saying it's much harder to do the second where you're ecom and you're trying to build media. But um, but I do think FabFitFun has done that, you know, in an interesting way. Like post purchase, you get access to a community that actually like retains you. Um, if you try to turn the last, like people will post like I'm I'm thinking about canceling, and people will actively say like Hey, don't cancel. Like here's why um, I'm still a member. Um, but what's the what's the like a, a good community is like a good cult, 
Yeah. Which means you have like a, 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 what a belief system. Yeah. Like cults all have like an identifiable leader. They have like an us versus them mentality. They have a, a unified belief. They have a, um, a, a series of rituals that you typically have to do and they're inclusive. What is the, what is the belief system that all like what we have this thing called trends. It's all, it, it has like this entrepreneurial thing. What's like the us versus them mentality. Well, I think when it comes to, like, well, I think in, in e-com, you can either sell, you know, one of, uh, I guess, like, one of three things. And, like, one is, um, you know, you can sell the uh, the concept of value. And it's like, hey, you're getting a good, you know, bang for your buck, or you're getting, like, um, a, a deal that you feel smart about, or you're in the know, or whatever it is. Um, and I, I think for FabFitFun, it, it is, like, the value sense. And, you know, value is not, like, an easy thing to build a community around. But, like, there are people who are, like, really passionate about like saving that extra dollar. Um, and even though they won't necessarily talk about it that way, I think, um, that community like does bond around that. I think there's others where I guess the other two I was going to say is like one is, um, kind of around the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the actual use case. So I think like the best, you know, recent example is probably Peloton in which, you know, people just love being Peloton users and NPS is super high, churn is extremely low. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. But I think the third is is actually interesting, and there's like a cultural one. I think, um, you know, for for and I'll speak directly with like uh, our our kind of counterparts. But um, companies like Glossier and which is oftentimes touted as like the leading kind of skincare slash beauty brand in in the venture ecosystem, um, even though they actually do oftentimes less run rates than like the the bootstrapped kind of lesser known um, you know uh, lesser known brands. Um, I, I think, you know, they put out this feeling of like, Hey, we are this cool millennial girl in a big city. And, you know, we put out this feeling that you're, it's like a cool 25 year old, right? The customer set is actually like high schoolers. Um, and I think I, I can name a bunch of other examples like this, like a way, for example, I think when they started as this cool millennial like product, you know, got all these influencers, but the actual customer in the beginning was probably business travelers. So, um, so I think, you know, I think there's areas to build like an aspirational, like, you know, community where it's like, Hey, I want to achieve that. And, um, there's these leaders in our space, like for example, with, um, a way, maybe it was like Carly Kloss or maybe with Glossy, it was actually the CEO, Emily, um, who, who built that like aura of like celebrity. But, um, but I think that's actually the hardest to maintain because, you know, Customers are flippant and and they'll kind of like churn out. Can, can I tell you or say something about something you just said? And Sean, you might like this. So at the hustle, we do giveaways sometimes. So like sign up for the hustle and you win a MacBook Pro. One time we gave away a Tesla, like a $30,000 Tesla. Wow. And when we do these giveaways, there's these websites. I, I'd have to go and remember what they're called. But it's like super savers or it's like... There is this, and and we get so much traffic from it. It's crazy. And if you Google like the hustle giveaway, there's these huge communities and we get so much traffic from it. And it's mostly middle America stay-at-home moms. And they are doing giveaways like crazy. They are all about saving money. Like we have these socks that say act now that's very coastal male branding. And they don't like, I'm like, normally if it were like, if it costs a little bit of money, they wouldn't want that. But because it's free, they're obsessed with it. And like, we have a t-shirt that says always be hustling. And like Bailey from Missouri, who's got three kids, doesn't want like an always be hustling shirt. Like that's, that's not her mantra probably, but they love this crap. And 
this FabFitFun thing is sounds like it's tapping into that community of this like stay-at-home mom, bargain hunter. I have been surprised. Another company that's similar to that is the pennyhoarder.com, which we talked about recently, which re- recently just sold for 100 million bucks or 120 or something. It's a crazy community. Yeah, probably not the best customer set, uh, <laughs> right? Because I think um, the, the, you know, even though the set, like the, the, the area where most people chase are like, okay, I want to sell to people like me, right? So that's like, typically for us, it's like bi-coastals, big city, middle high income, leans left, well-educated, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I think the actual most consistent um, customer that's actually the cheapest to acquire is the middle American mom. Um, yeah. And she's also the, like a pretty big spender too. Um, and if you get her loyal to one thing, like she's going to be with you for you know years and years and years. Um, and I think that's what a lot of like venture, um, uh, you know, uh, brands kind of overlook sometimes is like that's actually who you should be going for. But I mean, you can make the comparison to like DoorDash versus you know what what Postmates did, like city versus suburb. But um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think I would actually say they're they're a great customer. Um, yeah, I I totally agree. Sean, ha- did you ever see the analytics for SoapHub? So SoapHub was our friend's soap opera news website. Have you seen the analytics? Uh, I've seen you guys posted something about it. You did a blog post. I've seen what you posted publicly because I met him after he sold it. We had the founder of Bleacher Report look at... So we have this friend who has this blog. All he did was blog about soap operas. And we had the founder of Bleacher Report look at his Google Analytics. And he goes, I've never seen engagement like this. And it was all middle America moms. I'm telling you, that market's good. No, I, no, I, I totally agree. The middle America mom is a great market. The um, super save... The, like the, what's the first... Not penny hoarders, but the oh. one you just said before that. The ones who I basically... Just made are like, I, I don't know if that's actually a thing. The, the I, professional like contest enterers. Yeah. Uh, th- that's not the best, right? They're the ones who are trying to leech your your programs and be like oh cool they have a referral bonus let's create a giant referral chain and like milk this baby and so like they work that's not so great. hard and it's like man this is like this is like eight dollars just buy it and, it'll be easier and, and sometimes it's okay like for example for italic your value proposition is value right you're getting an amazing good at like a fraction of the price that you would normally pay so attracting the value shopper is the right the right move probably um whereas if your thing is all about status like for example um my wife has this e-commerce business and one of the kind of core things that people do is collect. They, uh, you know, like I've only, I've only ever seen businesses where you chase customers. You're trying to tell customers to buy from you. Uh, her business, they do new style drops of like, you know, a new product, uh, every, you know, every Friday and people are lining up. So it's like an Apple, you know, like an iPhone launch. So basically you have to, you have to implement these rules that you can't buy more than X of of every product because it like, it's selling out too quickly type of thing. Right. So I've never even seen somebody limit a cart. It's like, aren't you always trying to build the cart to be bigger? And it's like, no, no, no. We have it where you can max buy two items because you know, we have to, it's like, you know, when hand sanitizer was flying off the shelves and grocery stores had to had to put a limit on it, that's what happens there because that's a collector's mentality. They want they want to get every one of the new the new like stuff that comes out because it's rare, and they will wake up in the morning early to be at their computer trying to get it within one minute of the of the drop. Like all the revenue happens in a like 120 second period, and then it's like over for the day. I dig it. I'm into it. That's a that's a good idea. Um... It's almost like, I mean, it's real scarcity, but it's also like by enforcing. I think the more often you like uh, reinforce the scarcity of a, of a product to a, a, a very active audience, like, but do so in a classy way, the better. Um, it's almost like Black Friday, right? It's like, hey, you can get this in this very short bounded period of time and then it's, it's right. gone and you're going to have to wait another year. So 
Um, I know it's a totally different comparison, but uh, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. What what else you got? I have so many. I don't know like how fast you want to meet, uh, me to go through. I have um. I, okay, so I have like venture tech businesses, and I have like more standard. You know, like e- that's fine. Well, well, okay. What did we just cover? Just do, do, do go uh, A B A B A B. I mean, subscription uh, bread of the month. I, I think would be great for like someone who wants to just start something, you know, and and you can you know start it small. And I, and why why bread? Why'd you pick bread versus subscription? margins? Are you can? I mean, if you position it as like a premium product, or you you um, position it as like a utility. Hey, like we're skipping the grocery store. You're going to do this anyways. You want the best yeast. You want whatever it is. Like here's a starter kit. Um, I think the margins on that and the um, the uh, the retention will be really strong if you can deliver on that and it's also like you know it doesn't have to be expensive so um and also bread's hot right now sean don't you know this <laughs> well that's what i'm saying like give me the give me the trend uh mr I mean, Trends, everyone knows this bread. Ba- ba- banana bread in particular is going through the roof right everybody now everybody knows this everybody knows banana bread is through the roof anyone <laughs> who has a, anyone, you, nobody knows nobody knows banana sean, bread is through the roof uh, abreu <laughs> do you know this anyone who has an instagram or a tiktok knows that home baking uh, and bread abreu particularly banana bread you. You can't use a brave. He works for you. <laughs> Jeremy, am I right or wrong? Is uh, is banana bread like surging right now? Yeah, John it, also uh, said pears are the fruit of the year. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just jealous you're not talking about pears. Okay, so there, someone so actually breads. did. I forgot. Um, so I did see this in the wild somewhere, and I thought they did a they did a good job with it. But okay, so that, that was one idea. Um, hold on. Let me tell you one thing I like about that. By the way, I think that the, you want to make brag worthy products, meaning. Can the product after the consumer has it, is it Instagram worthy? Will they share this on Instagram or TikTok, the thing that they're doing? Because that's going to drive a lot of your adoption. And this is a, such a good one where it's like, it's an interesting thing. Making bread is something people don't usually do, but the skill cap is actually probably pretty low. You're actually going to be able to do it and have a good output. Um, and then lastly, it's brag worthy. It doesn't look like a brag, like if you bought something expensive and you share it, well, that's only a certain type of person would do that. But I think a lot of people would happily share that they're doing a fun thing today in quarantine, which is like baking bread at home and shit happy with how it turned out. So I, I love the bragworthiness of that idea. I think there's a lot of like subscription things that you, you can do that are not like you won't have fatigue. Like, you know, you, the, the downside, I think, of subscription food, for example, or subscription apparel is like it is, you know, it's limited to quarterly or in the in the case of food. Like if you did, let's say you actually want to go out to eat. Right. Like what are you going to do with your box? You, you, you feel like you have to cook it at some point. So. Right. Anyways, I, I think subscriptions are, are, are super interesting when it comes to actually like product boxes. Um I think that another idea like that's a little bit more. This can go either way. I think um, I listened to one of your podcasts, and I think you guys mentioned Sundays, uh, which I I love that business. I think it's like super smart. You you want to can, explain recap what, what it is. is? Oh, so it's it's basically like um it's a it's a suite of products that like um uh kind of provide uh, lawn care. Um, uh, how do you put it? It's it's kind of like um uh products to help people who have lawns take care of their lawns um and they to dumb it down it's a roundup alternative that has no chemicals and is d to seed or whatever you what d to seedified well i mean for people who who've lived in uh cities i don't even know if they would know what roundup is so uh i think i mean that's i think that's part of the whole suburban like kind of market and yeah weed killer yeah uh, another um this is, I think, a smaller, you know, total addressable market, but I think the, the basket size could be larger is uh, doing a similar thing for pool care. Um, the number of pools out there are, it's huge. Um, there's actually a lot of like software built for, you know, these pool services um, and so on and so forth. But uh, when you actually do research into the the products that they use, it's like, it's like 
it's really kind of gnarly, old school looking, you know, chemical right. based stuff. So That's a great um, idea. that was one idea. Um, Do you guys, first of all, there's this company called Leslie Pool. So, uh, did you guys grow up with pools? No, I have one now. I, this is the first pool I've ever had. So I used to go to this store called Leslie with my dad. I would go there called Leslie Pool Supplies. All they do, it's like a relatively small rinky dink store. And you go and you buy like a variety of bleaches. I mean, it was all pretty harsh stuff. They have a market cap. I just looked it up of $5 billion. Um, it's just a chain of like small stores. Do, you guys probably didn't experience this. But if you have blonde hair, these chemicals were so strong that if if I would swim too much, my hair... And if you're like a white blonde hair person, your hair turns green. <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen that? No, but that's that's an amazing uh, amazing way to position an alternative. So, so there was a guy who reached out from the podcast, a listener who said, hey... Um, I have a product and I, I can't remember the name. Sam, you might know this guy also. He might have reached out to you as well. Ravi? He, oh, I, I don't know what his, his name is, but the, his product was basically a modern day pool maintenance subscription thing. Kind of like what you're talking about, Jeremy. So what he was doing is, you know, in pools, they have this like floating little buoy that's kind of like a monitor. Um, so normally the pool guy comes, he sticks this little thing in there and he checks the like chemical, the pH levels and, you know, figures out what's going on. So this guy had basically created a smart sensor. So like, it's just a floating thing in your pool. Anytime on your phone, you can go check the pH levels. You can see if there's like, you know, what the temperature of the pool is, whatever. And then uh, they sell you the kind of like chemical packs, a little like essentially like Tide Pods that you put into this thing and it like you know like treats your pool and um i was like that is a great business idea and he was doing pretty well i think it's kind of like low seven figures a year in revenue yeah uh, his name is uh, uh it's called my sutro so my sutro.com s-u-t-r-o.com my sutro.com his name's ravi he actually uh was a founder's dojo guy sean so that's how i knew him gotcha he's a good, he's a good dude He's been at this for years. It, it does. I don't know why this actually hasn't isn't significantly Feels like larger. It should be bigger. Yeah. Right. Actually, I think but, um, uh, a lot of like this is so kind of this is like I, I think you guys have talked about like constellation and uh, software and like you know um, there's so and, and um, what was the comp- like service titan or something. There's so many like opportunities in these like niche neighborhood businesses that you think are like so you know most people would think are so small but there's like literally tens if not hundreds of thousands of these businesses like across the u.s alone and um and providing like verticalized soft this is not um i I still don't think it's a venture uh business but like building straightforward verticalized software for those use cases um such as pool maintenance which i know exists like to a large degree uh because i did my own research on it but um i i think you could do this for a number of those vertical that was actually not on my list, um, uh, but I, I can keep going if you want. I, I, I could kind of run through a couple if you want. or um, Yeah, keep going. All right. Uh, I've got one. Um, so I, I think Stripe Atlas, uh, for those who don't know, is um, basically company um, uh, formation as a service. And you know, this is not new by any means. Um, you know, And plenty of people have done this from Clerky to... Um, I think the new, there's a new one called First Base and whatnot. Generally, it costs like between you know maybe three hundred to a thousand dollars depending on the, the state and, and service. But I think there are uh, verticals for um, uh, administration like that that is more um, niche, and you can actually charge more for. So, for example, trust fund administration I think could be interesting as a as a service. Um, there's a lot of like, I basically I think Jeremy d- describe Clerky because I was a user of Clerky and I think they've gone out of. I don't know if they've gone out of business, but it's kind of like on autopilot, it seems. Yeah, I think so. I, I've used uh, I've used Clerky for two companies in the past, um, and it's 
It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a standardized set of um, uh, uh, documents that you can use for company formation as a Delaware C Corp, which is what most you know venture businesses would would form as, and um, and you can do it for like you know it, it's so cheap. Uh, I think the danger with Clerky is like every founder out there uh, who's listening, like who's new, um, the 83B process, you like really have to be careful of. You, you just, I'm not going to explain the whole thing. Just like make sure you do your research and actually like file the 83B so that you are purchasing your, you know, shares. Uh, you, the reason why I bring it up is like there's a time limit, but Clerky almost screwed us twice on that. So that was kind of one uh, uh, downside with it versus a, an actual, you know, dedicated service. But um, yeah, I think it's on autopilot and I'm sure they're... So Clerky is like they had maybe 40 documents that were standardized, but it had a DocuSign component. And I think it was $9 a document. And we had 36 investors. And so we sent this to them. So 36 times, let's say 10 bucks. So we only paid them 360 bucks. But it was one of those services. Sean and I you actually just discussed this the other day where you start using it and you're like, Oh, it's only this much money, whatever. You just keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and it slowly adds up. Yeah. All right. One more. Um, I, I have so many. Okay. Uh, one is homeschooling software. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, this is, I think, a, a significantly growing trend um, in homeschooling, not just because of COVID. I think COVID was an accelerant. Um, so providing software that is, um, and I think there's a venture company called Primer doing something kind of akin to this, yep. but um, providing things like attendance, report cards, grading, test generators, admin services, where you basically can run a homeschool for you, or even a marketplace of, you know, having like dedicated um, homeschooling teachers. Um, that was one. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about that, because I, I know a little bit about this space. So I was a little bit surprised to learn that about three to four percent of, uh, you know, like school age kids um, do homeschooling. And that was higher than I thought it would be. Um, it's still a low percentage, but, you know, we're talking about a, a, a population of two and a half to three million. And now with COVID, you know, like easily double that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come out of this. And so let's call it, you have two and a half million customers, three million maybe as a round number. And that's just in the U.S. And they have a very uh, specific set of challenges. So if you want to homeschool your kid, first, they're each state has a different process to like establish yourself as like a legal homeschool person. So I have a friend who started their business doing Stripe Atlas, one of the, the previous idea for homeschooling. So like, hey, just type in your kid's name and birthday and all that, and we will file the homeschooling paperwork for you. You don't have to figure out what the state of Georgia requires you to do for that. that then, you know, so they, they got a bunch of people who were like, oh, good, because I didn't know how to do this. Um, the second problem that 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 parents have is you're supposed to document all the work that your kid is doing. So you have to like take photos of their uh, of their worksheets and blah, blah, blah. So there's like a whole, like, where do you put those photos? It's just in your camera roll alongside all your other life photos. That doesn't seem very good. So, um, so you could build like, you know, so that's the second part of the stack is like the record keeping third part of the stack. Well, what worksheets should they even be using? Are you going to create your own curriculum? Like most people who homeschool are not, like going to be creating a full set of curriculum with like really good worksheets and whatnot. So they need to access what the heck do I teach my kid on a day-to-day -day basis? So that's kind of like one whole stack. And there's a company called go you know, primer that's going after it. Uh, my friend Farza started going after that. He pivoted to something called zip school, which so zip school basically is, t is doing the bill Nye, the science guy live on zoom. So what he did was he created, he, he found all these teachers who were kind of like out of work or had extra time. And he filtered them for like, who has the biggest personality and can kind of like, 
pop on Zoom. And what he does is like, it's like after school education. So you have a kid at home um, and whether you're homeschooling them and you just want for one hour for them to be with this digital teacher or after school, you just want them to like learn more science or whatever. And all his topics are kind of like Magic School Bus or Bill Nye the Science Guy where it's like, let's learn about rockets. And it's about like actually like what Elon Musk is doing with rockets, like something that's interesting that you don't like. It's just not the like cookie cutter school lesson um, or like why, you know, why sharks are not the scariest animal in the ocean, right? It's like stuff like that. That's like it's very intriguing to a student. And then they have a teacher with a green screen behind them and they kind of like live teach a class with like kind of like some low end special effects that it's interesting. And all the kids are just kind of like on mute and they like unmute to like say things from time to time or whatever. And parents pay like a pretty low subscription. It's like pay 50 bucks a month for your kid to be able to go to three, four or five classes a month. And um, so he raised a little bit of money from Andreessen Horowitz uh, because there was a little bit of momentum. He was getting classes where he started with like, like, uh, you know, five students showed up. And he was running Facebook ads and for very cheap, he was acquiring users like, I want to say sub a dollar. He was acquiring users during COVID because every parent in America was like, shit, how the hell am I supposed to teach my, A, I need a babysitter and B, like I need to like educate my kid because they're like out of school for so long. And so he was getting people to come in and he was joining classes and these classes got up to like 500 people. They were breaking the Zoom limit of like how many people can be in one session. And now they do like more like smaller group classes, I think, because people are more willing to pay for that. Uh, but I thought this was very interesting. The idea of taking the old Bill Nye the Science Guy model. So, so wait, where are they at now? I mean, what's going on with that company now? It's going. I think it's going fine. They they have a bunch of teachers on the roster that each you know this guy specializes in space, this guy specializes in science and surgeries or whatever different topics, and uh, they do small group classes of like six to eight people and uh, uh, of like after school education basically. And COVID still has like so many. Pe- it's hard to know what's going to happen to this business post COVID. But I would say like this is like a variation of homeschooling. It's not pure homeschooling. It's either something you can add into your homeschoolers day for an hour or it's a uh, hey I, t- I send my kid to public school they come home from school and like they want to watch tv and stuff anyways well we could do this for 30 minutes instead and i feel like at least my kid got like enriched a little bit uh and i'm I happily pay the equivalent of like 10 bucks a week for how to have this tutor basically tutoring my, my kid over zoom uh but it's done in an educating uh, entertaining way by the way sean are you just wearing a robe <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I I just I just noticed that. I just thought we should get that out of the way. You're, were you like? It's audio only, baby. I, mean, we, I don't know if anyone sees these clips. I just assume it's audio only. I'm in a robe. All right. <laughs> All right. I I, I want to get three out first, uh, and then I'll I'll kind of shout up for a bit. Um, one is I'm I'm personally I I think you you guys might be into this, but I I'm I've been really into the idea of like franchises for a long time. I think it's like, you know, I think um, sometimes I, I think people you know in 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 our ecosystem at least like will look down on these types of businesses, but some of them like are phenomenally profitable and they're extremely capital efficient. And it's a really lightweight way to build kind of a brand and a go-to-market, you know, strategy without actually having to kind of be a, a super rich, you know, person to, to start or raise a bunch of money. Um, and I think there's there's um, opportunities to, to modernize a lot of the kind of legacy franchises. So, for example, um, are you guys familiar with a company called Sonder? Um, oh, yeah. The hotel kind of company? Yeah, so they basically like take over people's leases and they manage the properties. And originally, there's a listing platform to, um, you know, they would take those properties and they would list it on like Craigslist, Airbnb, and so on and so forth, and get, you know, they would manage it. Um, uh, and then I think um, 
more recently, they're starting to like aggregate the demand on their side so that people will actually go to Sonder.com and then, you know, actually book directly. Um, so they don't have to pay the fee. You know, I, I think they're like, I think the largest, like one of the largest um, list, like unified listers on Airbnb at some point. But um, I think there's an opportunity to do something similar with, um, with, uh, with actually fitness centers and gyms. Um, uh, you know, the concept exists for hotels, like, you know, you'll have like Marriott's or whatever come over and kind of manage the um, property. But um, uh, I think gyms right now, like you have either you have like a, I think a bifurcation in the market of like really low end gyms, um, which you, you might pay like a, depending on where you are, like 10, 20, 30, 40 bucks um, a month for, or you have like the really premium gyms of which they're like, you know, some in, in LA, it was like 200 or 225 per month for an Equinox. And it's an annual subscription and it's a huge upfront commitment. Um, I think there's a mid-market opportunity, uh, mid-market opportunity to do something similar. Um, and uh, so, I, I mean, Sonder is familiar to, I think, the US audience. There's also like Oyo Rooms, you know, internationally, um, which has done this for hotels, but at a very, like, very, very low end budget kind of model. I think there's an opportunity to do something in the mid market for, um, for fitness centers and gyms. Right, right now, obviously, it's like the worst time to, to do this, but it's an idea that I think uh, is interesting. Um, along the same lines, um, I think there's an opportunity to do uh, um, uh, something similar in convenience stores. Um, this is actually an area that I've, I've, it's like super unsexy, but like it's a huge, like there's so much volume that goes um, into convenience stores and it's, it's for an obvious reason, right? Like there's companies like GoPuff or whatever, but I believe, I, I think like they'll get to maybe 10, 15, 20% market saturation, penetration at most, kind of like what e-com is right now. Um, I think convenience stores will probably always exist, but right now like it's super, you know, in New York, you have bodegas and like suburbs, you have like 7-Elevens, but um, I think there's an opportunity to either do a roll-up um, and the reason why I think there's an interesting use case there is like right now, convenience stores are retailers and they have to buy wholesale from uh, brands or distributors and they don't have any negotiation leverage as an independent, um, uh, like as a one kind of man show or, or, you know, a small shop. But I think if you had a, a larger um, uh, kind of supply base to, to purchase off of, um, that could be interesting. And you could do it either as a franchise model or as a roll up of your own. And I also think um, the McDonald's, uh, you can tell I'm all over here, but like, uh, uh, you know, the McDonald's model, how like franchisees will actually yeah. buy, um, they'll buy the license to become a franchise, but then McDonald's will actually buy the, the real estate. And then yeah. the, uh, the sale, the proceeds from the actual um, franchise will actually go towards the real estate purchase. I think that actually could be interesting because convenience stores have like the best real estate possible in like a lot of these bigger cities um, and sometimes suburbs because they're in the middle of like a town. Um, I don't, Sam, I don't know if you were going to say anything there. I think. Uh, no, my wheels are turning. I'm thinking. I'm scheming in my head. <laughs> um, this is this is a, a fun one. Like for anyone who runs a, a, an American factory, there's a lot of these like mo- smaller kind of, you know, uh, let's say 2,000 to 5,000 square foot factories in the U.S. I think there's actually opportunities to create like really uh, well-loved, high affinity branded factories. And I know this sounds really weird, but like think Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. If you run a chocolate factory and you like did a daily show on like, hey, I'm grinding like, you know, I just got my shipment of you know cacao. I'm like going through the roasting process or you could do it for coffee. I think there's actually a lot of opportunity for building brands online. Um, I think Emma Chamberlain like has, I mean, she's, this is a very far-fetched example, but like what she's- Who? Oh, Emma, Emma Chamberlain's um, like one of the biggest YouTube- um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this woman. I, I just discovered her. What does she do? I don't know her. She's just a, she's just a, a, a cool, yeah, she's just a YouTuber, but she's like pretty cool. I don't know. She's like, 
you know, like obviously cute and charming and entertaining. Like, she, what does she talk about? Or she just talks about she just her like life. Lives, it's like a vlog. It's almost okay. like a very um, nothing. Yeah. She but the, okay. the interesting. She like the the. I, I think you know. You guys talked about the. Um, I think it's Cloud Kitchens, which I love. By the way, I think like those guys are you know. Uh, uh, Read um, and and uh, Night Media. They're also investors for for Italic as well. But nice. um, yeah, great, amazing people to have. But I think the. You know, most times when people do merch with influencers, it's like, it's crap. Like, you're not, you're going to buy it, like, maybe if you're a super fan, but like, you know, it's a t-shirt. Like, what are you actually going to do with it? Um, but I think when you do things that are like really on brand. So, for example, what Emma did was she partnered with a, um, uh, a, a coffee manufacturer. She's really into coffee. She partnered with a coffee manufacturer and launched Chamberlain Coffees. And I think like they're probably wow. doing multiple of what we're doing right now for Italic. Yeah. So, um, I think there's opportunities to do things. So it's let, wait. Let's we we gotta talk about this for a second. So Sean, this Emma Chamberlain, Google her. She's like 19. She's got the. She kind of. She looks like this. I don't know what her stereotype is. Like quirky, quirky, likable, cute. Yeah, I got don't it. know what her stick is. I watched a video of her where she rented a hotel room by herself because she wanted a staycation, and I have no idea why I watched. It was a 20 minute series. She's just entertaining. She's good. Her tagline, Chamberlain Coffee, zero bullshit, just coffee. That, Chamberlain Coffee, zero bullshit, just coffee. Like it's 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 like it's like a legit brand now. It, it when it started, it was kind of like you know, a crappy Squarespace site. But now like it's a beautiful brand. I think it's like they, they that I think that's like an influencer slash celebrity brand done right. And it's so rare, you know. It, so do you think does she own one hundred percent of this, you think? Uh because I'm looking, it, usually here's, and I always I like to go through this stuff with the listeners. What I like to do is whenever I go to these websites, I scroll all the way to the bottom and I find out who it owns the copyright or trademark or what the copyright or trademark is. And then if you typically Google it in quotation marks, you can find out who owns it. Do you think, but I don't see that on her site. I think, um, you th- I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to speak like incorrectly. But I, how I mean, big hey, do you think? How you, much uh, revenue do you think this this woman makes off this? The top line sales on Chamberlain Coffee. You think they do more than forty million in sales? No, I I don't think yet. Um, I think they started like um, last summer or so. So I think they're they're still getting there. But I I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get there pretty soon. Um, and it, the best part about coffee is its subscription, right? So, um, and I think with these types of deals, like if you're a factory out there and you know you you can say like your margins are already crap right like that's the whole point of italic is to help you you know basically earn margin and kind of gain your own um, distribution channel of your own but but um but if you're saying like hey we can sell a and by the way for factories like normally they'll make 15 to 20 percent on top of cost of goods you know and this is like regardless of the category regardless of where you are whether you're in the us or china or you know italy it might be 25 30 percent sometimes but that's like on cost of goods. A brand will buy that and sell it for 10x, um, it's on, like normally. So if you even said like, hey, to a factory, hey, we will do um, a 50-50 revenue split, you're already like on a retail price and you you match what's on par with the rest of the industry. You're basically like f- more than 5xing their margins. Um, uh, like, uh, And that's that's not like an abnormal thing. And, and in exchange, you're, you're, they give you what? Uh, distribution, um, which is the most expensive part of the game anyways. So, um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I think that you, you talked about this previously as well, but I think like influencers are late, most are lazy. Like they don't have an aspiration to go beyond kind of like what they're currently doing. They're happy to do a promo, happy to do whatever. But if you made it really easy and it was just like, Hey, 
like we have a designer, we have a, you know, whatever. Um, it's kind of like, we'll build a business in a box for you, but, um, but it's actually like catered to you, um, in a way like, okay. A, a good example is I was looking at a chocolate factory and, um, in, in a right above, um, uh, it was in Marin County and, uh, like really high quality. Well, why, why were you doing that? For <laughs> <laughs> manufacturers from years and years ago for, for not, it was originally uh, chocolates and then we moved into gummies. Um, uh, this is like 2016, 2017, but, um, they, they went for sale and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Might as well actually look. Um, there's this guy who's like a sexy Willy Wonka TikTok character. I forgot his name, but just imagine like, Hey, put literally put that guy in the factory, make him do a video once a day. He's going to be huge. Like he's already huge. Um, and you could do like a golden ticket, you know, you know, one out of every thousand, you get like a thousand bucks or something like that. Um, there's all these, like, I think it has to be catered for the influencer, but I think there's branded factory opportunities where you have, um, you know, a rev share. And, you know, I know there's agents who do this for like skincare and beauty, but like, I think beyond the standard merch and skincare, there's a lot of opportunity that's like a lot more interesting than, you know, selling a t-shirt. Um, did we talk about the Bucky's thing, Sam? What is that? Maybe. Okay. So, all right. So this is a, this is a crazy story. So I got a DM. By the way, this is the best part about doing it, doing this podcast is that I just get DMs that are interesting, interesting characters. Do you have your DMs open? Yes, my DMs are I, for I sure open. A, I had to turn them off for a little while. For what? I don't know. I just didn't want to read them all, all of them. While you look for that, can we just say this Chamberlain coffee thing? I'm buying it. Or I'm buying this stuff. This site's beautiful. It's great. It's uh, it totally convinced me to buy. It's end to end like a really well done brand, and you rarely, even for venture back companies that try, like it's very rare that you see that happen. So, no, they crushed it. Sam loves cute girls and curly fonts, so he he was in at uh, first sight. All right, so so this guy, uh, so I met this guy Chris, and Chris says, "Hey man, I got kind of a crazy story." And I think the hustle might have actually done a feature on this. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but he tells me this story. He goes, So there's this chain of uh, kind of like gas stations in Texas called Bucky's. I lived in Texas. I didn't even know about this. Uh, did you, have you guys ever heard of this chain? Most people, if you're not in Texas, you probably haven't heard of this. Bucky's? Bucky's. It's B U, uh, you know, B U C dash The gas station. Exactly. They're gas stations. Yeah. They're known for two things. One, they have the cleanest restroom. So if you're on a road trip or you're stopping, Bucky's is a place to stop because they have the cleanest bathrooms uh, you know, out there, let alone for a gas station. The second thing is they have a whole bunch of uh, snacks. Like they basically have their own branded snacks in the gas station or whatever that you buy. And it's built kind of like a cult brand. Uh, they're an influencer gas station, if you will. Right. So you get Bucky's that has um, – this is this loyal following. It's like, you know, every kind of region has their version of this. Like uh, I went to school in North Carolina and cookout was like, oh, you got to go to cookout and get the shakes or whatever. Like there's these little like regional brands that people just go crazy about. And so this guy, uh, Chris, Chris Corner, he decides to start buying. Uh, he notices that Bucky's does not have e-commerce. Um, you could buy it in the store, but there's no e-commerce. So he just starts buying a whole bunch of products from the store and then just selling those same things online. And he's just like, oh, let me test this out. So he runs some ads and basically he's like, oh, if you love Bucky's, like here's a way to buy Bucky's beaver nuggets, which are like their little like best selling pop, popcorn oh my type God. of thing, right? Here, here's their, the, their chocolate covered milk, you know, like chocolate covered thing or whatever. Here's their hat. Here's their mug. And so he just starts selling this kind of like, you know, like on the down low basically. And, um, He's, and so he calls it texassnack.com or something like that. Uh, Texas Snacks uh, with an X. And uh, I'll, put, I'll put the link here. But 
he starts selling it and uh, sure enough the ads start performing phenomenally people who see this are like oh my god i love bucky's or my husband loves bucky's so this is the perfect gift for them they'll feel so good that so so he starts selling this and the ads start performing great and so he's like uh, yeah, you know, I'm spending X and I, here's my ROAS and he's showing me the numbers. I'm like, wow, these numbers are kind of like amazing for e-commerce. And he's like, I was like, so what is this just going to get like shut down or whatever? And he's like, no, actually they reached out and they were like, Hey, this is cool. What you're doing. Like we actually tried e-commerce a few years ago. Like we spent $3 million, like setting up e-commerce and it like never went anywhere. We kind of like just ditched it. Um, but that's cool that you guys, uh, are doing this. Like, how can we help? And he's like, well, you know, like I'd like to, you know, just get the blessing from you. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, if, as long as I'm like an approved vendor, this is great. And the second thing that he did with that was like, he's buying it at the retail price. So he's not like asking them for some, he's not eating into their business at all. He's buying it from a store at the retail price. He's just upcharging it from there for people who want it delivered. Um, and he himself owns a three PL. So he's like, ah, oh, this is perfect. I can fulfill this really easily. So I loved this little story. I thought this was like a very clever local thing to do. Basically, similar to what we had talked about with Ty Lopez, which is like take was these established Kirk? brands. Herc, who reached out to you? Chris. His his Twitter handle is Serial Trep, like Serial Entrepreneur. Um, and I saw, I was like, you have like 50,000 followers. How do you uh, how do you have so many followers? He's like, oh, like I was doing some Bitcoin stuff like, you know, a few years ago. It got really popular. Uh, you know, like, you know, John McAfee was uh, invited me to his house for some shit and like kind of got blown up from that. But like, yeah, I, I changed my domain name. now. I changed my handle now so that, you know, it's more generic, not about crypto. Okay, listen, I'm going to talk about something that a friend has been telling me that he wants to do. And I, I'm going to I'm going to mention it because I have to. I'm looking at sendeats.com. So if you go to TexasSnacks.com. That's this guy's website. You scroll to the very bottom. It looks like it's owned by SendEats. SendEats.com. And basically, it's a service that... Uh, how do they describe themselves? They just do so, it with that Bucky's things for everyone. No, this is the same guy. This is their. Yeah. His, this is his company. So basically, yeah. they, they're a three PL, which basically just means they're like the warehouse and fulfillment. So you store your products there. They sh- they pack it and ship it out to uh, your customers for you. And in their about page, they say in 2020 they expanded to cold chain. Do you know what cold chain storage is? It's basically where your temperature controlled, you know, temperature handled, right? Yes, and a lot of insiders of of this space this legit food logistics i don't know what you would call it but i've been talking to some friends in that space and there many people have said to me cold chain expansion cold chain storage is the number one category for growth oh it's crazy you you can't you literally can't find a, a vendor for it right now it's uh like i i'm telling my my parents have a warehouse in chicago and um uh they, they have like a manufacturing business that's our family business but um uh like I, i'm trying to get them to like convert their warehouse to a cold chain, uh, like, you know, cold storage. Um, so what can you, ex- I, I don't really know too much about what that means in detail. Can you explain to me, Jeremy, what, what that why means? Why is it the need exploding? Is it a COVID thing or just in general? Well, I think it's just in general. Um, uh, it, it basically like, you know, that you're, st- and, and by the way, this, this is a really interesting area. I, I actually personally invested in this company called Airhouse. It was founded by the, uh, the founder and CEO of SHIP, S-H-Y-P. Um, that was my yeah. first job in, in, out of college. Uh, and that's when I met Sean. So um, 
Anyways, cold chain and cold chain uh, logistics and in storage specifically um, is you have to have it if you work with like a distributor um, or you you sell um, any perishable product that is not like dry goods. So um, so uh, so like let's say we're talking about Oatly for example. I, I don't know Oatly supply chain. This is just a guess, but if Oatly wants to distribute that product to Whole Foods, um, you know they need to store it. And they'll produce it more likely than not in the U.S. right now. You know they'll, they'll they'll have suppliers you know wherever produce it in the U.S. The uh, they'll need to have a pickup and then they'll uh, um, which will be a, a a reefer so like a refrigerator truck and then um, uh, and then that reefer will reefer. drop it yeah that's what it's called they drop it off at like that cold storage so you have like those three um, PLs like have to have that space allocated and more often than not it's like the whole space it's not like half half. Um, and it's more expensive storage, just more, but if you want to introduce it to Whole Foods, like you have to do it. And retail is just like, you know, popped off ever since COVID, um, or grocery, not retail grocery has popped off ever since, um, you know, COVID started. So, um, and I don't think that's slowing down by any means, especially with like nowadays, um, a lot of the cold storage, um, fulfillment centers used to not do direct to consumer fulfillment. It was purely for retail. Um, as a lot of these brands transitioned online for COVID, um, I think the need for direct-to-consumer kind of distribution went up a lot, and the cost of this is really high. Um, and the the in, both in terms of shipping to a customer, but also the setup cost. So, right. um, so yeah, it's there's basically not enough like cold storage in the U.S. right now for like a new brand if you want to start. So, start this company. Don't quit selling pot, not <laughs> <laughs> or not pot. Um, your parent, what are your, what is your parents' warehouse for? They they do. Uh, they've been doing like very heavy duty industrials manufacturing for a long time. So they've produced parts for like Tesla, um, uh, like General Motors, like et cetera, et cetera. So it's like mining, auto. So you were buying Tesla stock early. You're like, oh shit, look at this purchase order, baby. We, we got we to gotta buy in. I, I was not smart enough to do that. No, I, uh, well, <laughs> at I least mean, you weren't dumb enough the, to the sell it. Tesla, you know? like, if you're actually a vendor ago. for Tesla, I think the irony, um, I, 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 this is not from my parents, but I think this is just in general, like I've heard, is um, they they come to you saying like, you know they're they're big you know they're they're just like hey we're this huge huge company, but in reality like the, the orders aren't actually that big relative to I, I, I mean this is a common story right like Ford ships a zillion times more you know cars than Tesla does but like the market cap. Yeah, I have a quick question Jeremy you are somewhat steeped in this VC world a, a little bit I mean you you got your foot in it your family are they would they own warehouses. They um they have a manufacturing company um so they produce were they parts. born and raised here in, in, no, in Chicago classic immigrant classic Asian immigrant story so moved yeah and I'm stereotyping you and and I was right so they're <laughs> <laughs> they're these uh, immigrants who came here from and and they're the American dream right they started probably a small business maybe they had like some type of store and they're like oh we actually should start making the thing and they like have slowly built it up over like two decades right yeah in this case four yep. Great. So the American dream and pretty traditional, um, right? Of like doing it slowly. Probably maybe they took a little bit of debt, but they certainly didn't have investors, right? Yep. 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 Just slow and steady. Yep. Slow and steady. Is it lucrative? Has it done well for them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think um, I, I actually don't even know the numbers and they won't tell me. So I actually don't know. And, and <laughs> Another classic. Like like super high income, like, you know, super rich. I, I think we're like very healthy between middle to high income. So so my question is this. What, how has your experience of like raising money and trying to like 
I mean, I'm sure maybe they saw that and they were like, this is outlandish. Why are you doing this? This is stupid. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, that's at least how my family was. But how has your experience and your friend's experience differed from them? And which do you think you like better? Well, that's a huge question, actually. I mean, you could ask that to like everyone in Silicon Valley. And I think you'd get like a thousand different answers. You know, I think when I was growing up, I, I, I'm sure you guys like probably felt similarly, like I, I think didn't feel perfectly, um, you know, like the classic Chicago track and, and Chicago is like a very specific market. I'm from St. Louis, by the way. Oh, nice. Okay. So you get it. It's like, you grow up, you become an accountant, you go, you go to UI, right. you go to, you go become an accountant at a big four. Or work at insurance yeah, or at a bar or something. You, you get married and like your life is not work. It's, it's your life. Right. And, um, and your, your, your sole purpose is like fulfill, you know, your family's needs and, and continue what so on and so forth. And I think like when you have an immigrant, I think another thing I will say is, um, growing up Asian in the Midwest is very different than growing up Asian in, uh, the West coast and also the East coast, like in the Midwest, like you're talking about like Korean churches, you know, super um, like conservative, you know, uh, education is everything. Whereas if you grew up in the West coast, like you have Asians who like go homeless and then you have Asians become billionaires. Like neither of those really happened in, in the Midwest. So I think um, for me, it was like, Hey, I want to get out of here, um, move to, to somewhere else. And I think um, in the beginning, like it was a hundred percent, like just hustle. I was like, okay, go big or go home. Like that's the whole reason why I dropped out and did the whole, you know, feel fellowship thing and like all, so on and so forth, all of which I'm really you know grateful for. But I, I think, um, you know, as I get older, I, I think, uh, and that's, that's the irony of like being 25. I, I guess like I've been on this path for six, seven years now. And, um, I feel like ancient by now, but, uh, relative to a lot of the, the newcomers, but I think, um, you know, uh, now that you've been in the game for a bit, it's like, okay, the, the flip side is now, like, I think when we started in 2014, ish um you know the, the there were so many narratives that i think are no longer true today so you know remote there was no way you could do um if you wanted to raise money like you had to basically kill yourself to do so um you know this is like a 24 7 hustle this, this is the era of like i think the ubers and, and so on um whereas nowadays i think like you know founder I, I don't know if it's because more capital has flown into the you know the the ecosystem so that founders have more you know leverage but um i don't know i i think that the opposite you know the 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 more conservative, like compounding side of the business is, I think, equally valued now, not by investors by any means, but I think by as a founder, it's an actual legitimate option. Whereas if you were in San Francisco in like 2013, there's no way you were going to do that, right? It's like, you're going to look down at every company unless it was raising money. You were kind of always comparing, you know, who raised more or whatever. Um, but nowadays, like a lot of those companies are way bigger than ours. So I don't know. It's... it's uh, Wh- which, which are you referring to that's bigger than you? Like a Glossier or... I don't know who you consider. Uh... Actually, I, I I love like the Glossy brand. I think they're like, they did a great job. But I, I will say like, hey, if you were Glossy and you were the founder there, you gave up like more than probably half your company and you had co-founders or whatever. No, I bet you she owns less than 10%. 10%. Yeah. I bet she owns 10%. I mean, that's a lot though. It's a, it's a, it's a billion dollar business maybe. I mean, who? That's that's true. Maybe, but then Maybe. I, I think on the flip side, there's like companies like Milk Makeup, Decium. You know, I could name so many here that probably have achieved similar run rates, but they kept the entire thing, you know, in house. And when it comes to an exit, you know, you, you keep the whole thing. And and by the way, like you don't have to kill yourself day on day in day out to like hire engineers, whatever it is. Um, uh, and and they've achieved. And Jim Shark's like probably the more more recent example of this, right? So um, I don't know. I. And Gymshark, the comp you could use as like outdoor voices, right? Like, 
which is both both are great brands, but like yeah, the woman who started out Outdoor Voices was fired. Yeah, exactly. So or, well, I I, th- I think what your parents are doing is uh, the mo- more interesting path, uh, which is like. You know, the easier it gets to start certain businesses, and I'd say e-commerce is getting easier and easier by the day to start, um, the harder and harder it will be to build durable, successful brands. Um, and the more valuable things like, you know, cold chain, you know, cold chain logistics or, you know, being a manufacturing plant that's providing that's, that's you know, that's building for, uh, you know, 50 different brands. Uh, you know, I feel like that's where the durable value is because it's very hard for little fish like us. It's like, Oh, I got an idea to swim upstream and go do what they do. Whereas it's very easy for, you know, another person to enter the, enter the fold and start selling their DTC chocolates and gummies and shirts and hats and whatever else. And so I think that like the long-term you know, compounding most value is from defensibility. And I just think that like having hard to do stuff is much more defensible than the like kind of, uh, quick, you know, D2C thing. But, you know, there's something you, you, that doesn't mean you can't make money doing both, but it's like which one ultimately is more valuable. And I, I, I think, you know, where your parents are at is actually where a lot more value is is to be had. And I wonder what would happen if you took like a technologist or an innovator and you, you know, who was like, like your parents probably don't think, wake up every day trying to like grow and expand and more and more and more. Like they're probably like, you know, like running a good solid business every single day. And like, that's their mindset. Like, I wonder what would happen if, if I took away all your other projects and 25 year old, you took over your family business, where does that business go in the next 10 years? Probably 10 X and becomes a billion dollar, like, you know, industrial family, you know, people have done, I have a couple of friends who, who come from manufacturing families and they, they basically like put out a consumer brand on top and they're doing like, you know, uh, one of my friends started, um, outer, which is like the, the furniture company. And now they're doing like tens of millions. So, so they own their factory. Uh, it was, a, it was a, I think, um, it was a family business for the, the manufacturing. Same with Buffy, yeah. like the comforter, they bootstrapped for a while before, you know, taking on capital. And that was a family business. Um, there's so many examples like that, but, uh, these are just the three ideas that I, I, I wanted to, to share and then I'll, I'll, I'll officially be done. Cool. Um, Let's do it. One is, uh, I, I think these are like the more controversial ideas, but I, I think like, you know, nowadays you, you, as a founder, you can actually have the way to do whatever you want. Um, I think Alcoholics Anonymous online is actually a really good We talked about idea. that. A oh, bit. have you? Okay, perfect. A little bit. I know. I mean, go for it. But we talked, there's, I think we talked about this a while ago. No, this is super interesting. And there's a company called The Tempest ha- that has, that was launching around when we started talking about this. And so they're actually further along now. I, I wonder, I, 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 we should do a checkup but on them. Just to finish the idea, you were saying AA online, basically, digital uh, mobile app or something. It doesn't even have to be um, specifically like AA. I think there's like a, a million like specific, you know, use cases. But I think the, um, the, uh, the, the bigger idea was just like, hey, can you build a specialized community for support groups? Um, and it doesn't have to be like an all-encompassing, generalized, like universal here is a support group platform like Reddit, but instead I think you can create like customized, um, you know, uh, productized like versions of each. So, right. you know, in AA's case, like, you know, you have the steps and, you know, there's a number of other ones for like mental health or whatever it is. So that was one. Um, the second one uh, is just following up on something you guys have talked about a bunch, um, which is, uh, and this could go either in venture or lifestyle. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, you guys have talked about like uh, Andrew um, uh, Wilkinson, like, 
what he's done with um, the Capital Daily, I think is awesome. Like, I, I think everyone respects that. Um, I, I think the way he he goes about building businesses is it's very you know specific and, and well known nowadays to, to him. But um, I do think there's actually a venture approach as well in which um, you can create more of a democratized system of like, hey, we're going to find local editors in you know mid market cities. Um, for example, here, like Provo is a pretty big city around here. And there's like so Boise, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, and I think like a lot of those, uh, basically the idea is like, I think you can create a modern day patch, um, which was acquired, you know, however many years. Yeah. Well, they're, they're patch is still going, getting after yeah, it. I no, I, 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 I think the, the idea like patches, um, I think the reason patch kind of sucks as a user is like the content is like not curated whatsoever. There's like, and it's just a little old looking. Yeah. It's old. It's like, there's so many things going on, but if you just had like a, um, a paid, um, you know, you, you monetize through subscription businesses as opposed to advertising. I agree. And like a dollar a week or whatever it was. Um, I think there's enough people in those like mid-market cities that you can actually build a sizable, like, you know, multi-million dollar run rate per city, per you know, country business. And your job as a venture company would be to build the tools to empower and source those editors, kind of like The Athletic, actually, as a, as a good example. Yeah. And if people are, are curious, Patch was started by AOL I think it was like Tim Armstrong it was like it was Tim Armstrong he was a he was an AOL Tim Armstrong helped start uh was an early Google guy and then for a minute he was a CEO of AOL Patch was his baby I don't know if he started it or if he bought it I don't know I forget but it was like a localized news website I guess and it's never gone out of business. And I think now they're doing tens of millions of revenue, but it was like touted as like the next big thing. And it didn't exactly become the next big thing. Yeah. Um, and then I, I have a bunch more, but my last one, I'll just keep kind of short. I, I know actually I'll, I'll just kind of like run through them and I won't even like explain. Um, I just want to get these ideas out there. And if anyone's working on these, like, <laughs> please do let me know. Cause I've been thinking about these a lot. Um, uh, one is, um, uh, so actually, uh, you actually mentioned the, the manufacturing piece of this, but I think Uber um, was probably the best like modern example of a managed marketplace in which like when you actually, I, I think you guys talked about this as well, but like when you use the Uber service, you're not thinking of like, hey, I'm like contracting Uber to find me a driver to use their car. It's like I'm booking an Uber versus Airbnb where it's like I'm booking an Airbnb, but it's like a specific stay. So uh, I think the concept of managed marketplaces actually hasn't, ventured into business uh, services as much as it could. Um, a couple of companies have done this already. So I think Flexport was a great example of doing this for a modern day, like freight brokerage. Um, Zometry was actually the one I was going to mention that has done this um, uh, for manufacturing. So they basically aggregated a marketplace of, um, of preferred manufacturers underneath the hood so that when you place a uh, an order with them or sample or whatever, like they'll go and kind of allocate this um, order to the right person at the right time. Um, there's also, I mean, on the 3PL side, like that was, I think, the past 10 years. But now in the past three to four years, there's companies like Airhouse, Flex, um, you know, Flowspace that have built like 4PLs or wrappers on top of these. Channel Ape um, is another one. Uh, Pilot is one that has done this for bookkeeping. Um, Bench has done this for bookkeeping. So I think managed marketplaces is a good idea. Financing for niches is a good idea as well. I think like if you provide financing for products like weddings or um you know, uh, or even like home repairs or maintenance. Um, I think there's a lot of room there and you can actually charge a premium. Um, this is a lifestyle business. I think if you built like a, a brand called kids next door and you offered things like back to school products, um, lunchbox, composition, notebooks, backpacks, I think there's a niche business there. Um, 
Okay, uh, I, I'm almost done. Promise. Um, order via QR codes. Uh, this is an area like I lived in China a bunch um, over the past like decade, and um, this is an area where like every time I come back to the states, you kind of wonder like where is the American like innovation in this? Why don't we just like like all the POS systems have the ability to order and transact through um, QR, and then you can actually run the transaction through Apple Pay, Google Pay, you know, whatever it is, Venmo, even Cash App. Um, but all of them are local. Like right now, the issue, like right now, the innovation on menus and ordering has uh, on quick service restaurants has like ended at uh, a QR code showing you the menu. Like the, I don't know why anyone like. Toast should do this. Like they should just connect the final step, which is like actually let them transact. Um, and this is how like every restaurant in China works, whether it's a high end one or a low end one. Um, last one, uh, group buying. Um, this is something that does not ex- like it exists in middle like um, you know I, I think uh, you know the classic like Tupperware parties or whatever in like middle America. But on the reason I think um, you know uh, there's this company called Pinduoduo in China that I, I know a lot of people nowadays know. I, I don't know. How do you spell that? Oh. P-I-N-D-U-O-D-U-O. It is actually, I think, the craziest venture story oh, here. Yes, um, Sean has brought this up many it's times. It's insane. It's it's but the the mechanic that people I think oftentimes fixate on when it comes to Pinduoduo is like the group buying. I don't actually think that's the reason why it succeeded. They they had group buying like prior to this. Uh, pro, like they, there was two companies that eventually like merged into one. Um, it's a really crazy founding story, but like they focused on produce. And I think the um, the concept of actually like getting one person in a community to buy bulk produce um, and then distribute it to like the rest of the moms or or you know whoever it is um, that's the primary kind of like uh, cooker I guess the chef in, in the household um, it's I, I think actually what led to PDD like doing really well in the beginning so I think if it's, um, if you can figure out um, so how, how do the logistics of PDD work so I so so definitely it's you buy in bulk and save so it's like a community can kind of buy vegetables fresh produce so is it actually one person receives it that's like a you know one of the customers holds it and then distributes it out themselves or does PDD deliver to each house it's it's changed over the years. You know, nowadays, um, uh, I think they've built the mechanics so that it's um, it's it, uh, uh, the payments will actually happen like separately. So they'll uh, orchestrate the payments and then they'll also ship separately. So it's just all about like lowering CAC at that point. It's just like, hey, yeah. can I get you to refer someone else at the, like now and then you know as opposed to waiting later? Um, but there's companies like. Um, and early on, earlier on, and, and what they did, like in China, there's companies called uh, like Nice Twin, um, uh, Mist Fresh, etc., where it is like one person who buys for a local community, and you get like a huge kind of bundle of product, and um, and you distribute it locally. So it's almost like a the, the basket size is enormous, um, and the the frequency of use is very high. Um, so group buying, and then okay, this I know I said last time about this is actually my last one. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, this, this is the, probably the craziest one, um, but it, it's like if, if there's any like hard tech people out there that I think are like into this, um, I actually think this is um, a, a potentially like really big opportunity. Um, this this is the most out there. So I, I was thinking you could build a uh, so, like we we know right now like we have crop failures um, a lot and um, and and there's also a shortage of. Uh, um uh honeybees like honeybees are actually like going down in population uh, dude, you're talking to a beekeeper in sand oh, are you literally okay. is a he's an actual beekeeper oh wow okay well anyways i, I mean i don't of... know anything i just bought it off amazon <laughs> like I, it's not like i like i can't tell you about bee stats all i know is i had some bees 
<laughs> the, uh, the, I, the idea was basically like, hey, can you build either autonomous crop pollinators, um, which I think is actually a, an increasing challenge right now for... Well, wouldn't that just be a drone? Stuff. It's like a drone uh, bee? Well, you... you I mean, yeah, you, you could you could take it either way, but um, uh, I think like right now the the issue uh, like specifically with companies like Monsanto and whatnot is like you have um, uh, kind of like um, uh, like uh, how do you I even put it like you have spread between um, uh, like Monsanto based crops as well as like non Monsanto based crops, and then like that genetic variation can actually cross like it it, it like there's no physical barrier to prevent like a crop crossing over and they're all there are um the actual like service right now for pollinating crops is a beekeeper like literally going to a farm and like releasing bees and saying like okay and i'm going to charge you for the day um and uh, I, I think this is going to be continuing like you know trend I, I know this is really out there but i actually think there's a big opportunity it's for not it that, it's actually well, not that out there i, I, I don't is, understand the idea so so what would be the idea here so you would do well, what? hold on Look, listen sean what you have to do is right now if you're a beekeeper and these are people who I bought my bees from, they actually, you pay money and sometimes they'll drive literally cross country and a farmer will pay a fee and a beekeeper will bring literally hundreds of hives. I own two hives. So someone would bring like hundreds and they would place them in your field for maybe four weeks. And then at the end of the bees pollinating, because you need bees in order to grow the plant. So a bee goes from plant to plant to plant and then doing so drop seeds and stuff like that. Um, or I think uh, it's drop seeds, it's probably, but okay. I don't know if it's drop seeds, but <laughs> so, something pollen, happens. Rubs the pollen on each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it helps create more plants. Is basically what it does. And a farmer will pay a, a, a for one month of that, and then the beekeeper goes back, picks up their bees, brings them home, grows more, gets more, and then does it again. Isn't that crazy? Like you to pollinate commercial, like large scale crops. You need you literally have of them. To, yeah, like like millions of acres like this is actually how it's done i mean it's mind-blowing to me and and the bee population is like dying like it's it's dropping year over year so what, so. what would be the solution so you're saying a non-bee solution for the pollination um well i think there you could do two two ways like you could do um you could do it like via like large-scale drone and um uh and i think like i actually do, i mean you could do it that way um in which like you basically blanket a, a certain like set area um the alternative um is you actually go like actually try to create like micro you know i don't know if it's uh, i don't know if you talk about it like from the st- standpoint of like a robot bee but um i think there's ways to go about pollinating a engineer a bee basically uh, you could even have a ro- like um, uh, you could even have like a standardized like robot um, uh, uh, kind of like drive between um, uh, I guess the rows of a of a crop and um, and uh, like spray. I don't know. There's I just think there's an opportunity there. Um, I, I invested in this company called um, uh, Pika a couple of years ago that's doing like au- autonomous crop dusting in uh, in New Zealand. They never got the license, I don't think, in the U.S. yet. But um, I think there's a lot more opportunity in like the commercial. Um, farm like there's all these like really i know um i think sam you're really into trucking but i think there's all these like opportunities in like farming that is just like as large and it's a really i mean if you think about it it's like critical to everyone right uh whether it's vegan or my friend this is what i've been saying since the beginning of this podcast (laughs) like sometimes people dismiss trucking and particularly farming my parents are in that industry and i'm like if the truckers go away you're not getting anything and yeah if the farmers can't farm, you're not going to eat anything. 
it's dude, no one major. no one's hating on truckers and farms everyone loves our truckers we love our farms uh that's not what anybody's saying we're the the only thing anyone's ever said is like hey if these trucks can drive themselves you probably won't have trucking be the number one job in america uh you know so so maybe those truckers will have to shift into doing something else if the trucks drive themselves because maybe we don't want humans driving 18 hours a day as like they're you know the way they live their life my point is that i just think driverless trucks is quite far my the only thing i was just going to make a point here which is like hey those industries are like i I think trucking now is recognized by like the community as like hey this is actually a really big opportunity but i think the commercial farming industry is like it's it's like as large i think as this trucking and they're like really big opportunities that if you have any interest in business applications wouldn't you rather build like I mean, this, this is my whole thing. I, I, I started, I dropped out to start a company in HR SaaS and like no kid drops out to go and work on like HR tech, right? Like that's not what you dream of. But if your goal is to make money and that's like what you want to do through software um, uh, or technology, like it's a really great um, place to how, spend time. How are you, and we should wrap up in a second, but how are you spending your time right now? Because you have this business italic, which I imagine is, that's like your job, you know, that's your nine to five <laughs> or more than that. But yeah. you also have this not pot thing. It sounds like you are you do all types of scheming. How do you? Well, for what it's worth, a lot of these ideas are things that like I've just jotted down over the years. So it's not like in preparation for this podcast, I was like, okay, gotta come up with like a hundred ideas. They're, they're just things that I think I'd, I'd really love to see in the world or someone to take on. And you know, whether that's in the the facet of being an investor or or you know, advising or whatever it is. Specifically, I, I really don't have much time, so um, I just wanted to get these out there. And I feel like this is a the perfect place to to do it. Um, in terms of day to day, it's like yeah, it's it's like you know how the startup founder grind is it's like right nine to late at night um 99 of it is is italic um and uh, and it's it's italic is like a really hard business to to start it is not something that i recommend to anyone so please don't try to copy it's it's uh <laughs> it's not worth it believe me it's, yeah uh, i mean hopefully it'll be worth it for, for for you know sean and and every one of our investors and so on but the amount of work that goes this is why i love pimping out bitcoin because so the more hard. people that copy me the higher the price goes uh, this <laughs> is, that, that is the beauty of bitcoin and as long as we all keep doing that we all win and last yeah. question it, i did you used to own fountain.com we still do yeah it's uh it was i think it was like it was like 80k or something Interesting. Um, that's yeah, italic was more so how much yeah. was italic.com I think Italic was like 115. Did you like use I, a broker or what'd you do? Yeah, yeah. We used to broker. I mean, 100K, yeah. look, how much have you raised? We've raised about uh, 15 now. I mean, 100K for Italic.com if you're trying to build a big brand. I mean, dude, yeah, please. But, he paid in cash. He just brought the briefcase for that one. I mean, 115K. I tried equity. I really did. I, I tried Thank to get you. the guy. Um, the guy's had it since the 90s. Like, you know, I, I tried every trick in the book before I went to a broker and just said, like, let's get it. So, right. Yeah. I, I use my sister's college email, like, you know, all that stuff. Oh, That's wow. That's smart. Well, I got to run. Thank you, Jeremy. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. Good seeing you as always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. All right. And, see uh, ya. We'll share this. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.